Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats. Hello, welcome to the Nottingham Playhouse Amplified podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert. On this episode, I'm joined by the award-winning writer and director, Bolahan Obersesson. Bolahan has just been appointed as artistic director of Brixton House Theatre, which was formerly the Oval House. Prior to that, he was the Genesis Fellow at the Young Vic, where he directed Cut In It by Charlene James in a co-production with the Royal Court. His other work as a director includes The Last King of Scotland at the Sheffield Crucible Theatre, Random at Leeds Playhouse, Yvette for China Plate and the Bush Theatre, and Sus for the Young Vic. That production won the Jerwood Award for Directing. His work as a playwright includes The Fisherman, an adaptation of the Booker-nominated novel for New Perspectives, Manchester Home and the Arcola, Hansel and Gretel for The Place with Ochenna Dance, How Nigeria Became for the Unicorn Theatre and Pigeon English for the Bristol Old Vic and Edinburgh Festival. Here's my chat with the marvellous Bolahan Obersesson. Hello, Bolahan. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the Nottingham Playhouse Amplified podcast. Uh, thanks for sparing the time. How are you doing? I'm well, Craig. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. Uh, we're what, uh, approaching the third week of uh, social distancing now, which uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting a bit heavy now. I think, but yeah, I'm all right, bearing up. Um, what's it look like for you, social distancing? What have you been up to? Um, mainly just kind of getting sort of used to the weird isolation of not going out. <laughs> I guess um, I've been mainly sort of writing um, and trying to catch up with some readings as as much as also preparing for my imminent role as um artistic director as well so well officially I don't start till next week so yeah it feels like everything's going to ramp up quite quickly <laughs> yeah I can imagine and for the people that are listening that don't know which building you're about to take over so um takeover sounds quite extreme <laughs> um but um i have recently been appointed the new artistic director of the oval house which is being moved and renamed brixton house um as it's moving to cold harbour lane on brixton in brixton should i say great stuff and you and you're and you're about to start that so you're going to start your new job uh from your own flat um which will be interesting yeah, yeah, effectively, you know, having meetings in my kitchen, like this um, podcast appearance, uh, I've been a sort of regular feature so far. So, yeah, I, I just need to make it a bit more comfortable than usual and try not to rattle any any pots and pans or or mugs while I'm making a cup of tea and stuff like that. And I think I, should, I think we should be all right. So obviously it's a hugely exciting opportunity to uh, be uh, appointed the artistic director of Oval House, which is about to become Brixton House. But um, tell us, Bolaham, where did it start for you? Where are you from? Uh, where am I from? I'm from Nigeria. Um, <laughs> I was born there and grew up there until I was nine and then moved to London and lived in Bermondsey and New Cross and and Deptford and now sort of Lewisham. So I've sort of um, predominantly stayed in South East London all my life in London, um, as opposed to um, my earlier years in South West Nigeria in Ibadan, uh, which is where my family's from. 
how how old were you when you when you came to London? I was um, nine. Nine. Yeah. What about your What about your family? Are there, are there any uh, arts in your family, or are you the only uh, Are you the only theatre person, the only creative? You know, as far as I know, I am the only that person in involved in theatre. Um, you know, it's it's a very I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because I I wouldn't say I know the history of um, my family too well. Um, in that, I think, you know, there's a great, great, great grandfather somewhere who was kind of like the, uh, I don't know, one of the original hunters or protectors of, you know, this city that my family's from in Nigeria. But um, in recent years, all I knew was obviously being from a very kind of academically focused um, West African family. Most of my father's brothers tried to pursue careers as either doctors or um, accounting and things like that. And, you know, my dad, for, uh, for his time in Nigeria, was an accountant. And then he moved over here and they told him none of his qualifications were valid. And so he ended up um, working with um, with um, southeastern trains um, and stuff like that. And my mum um, sort of ended up training as a nurse. Although they both have that, you know, uh, weird kind of not weird, um, just sort of um, quote unquote misspent use pursuing whether a career as a musician my dad um supposedly tried or was quite fond of singing and my mum was interested in um fashion and for a time when I was young I remember her kind of sewing clothes and designing clothes in in the front room um just you know as everyday apparel I guess um things to wear but with sort of very um kind of Dutch print um, and Cara print, um, which we call native um, uh, cloth in in Nigeria. Where where does your relationship with the theatre come from? I think my relationship with the theatre comes from the fact that I was just um, a very precocious kid who was, you know, had access to the outside world through film. Um, so I used to. Uh, we had a, a VCR and a TV when I was a kid in Nigeria. So when my parents were away, I would just kind of watch, you know, Nollywood films, a lot of James Bond um, and a lot of uh, Hong Kong martial arts films as well. Um, and, and then kind of that sort of receded into the back of my mind for a long time until maybe I was 14 and in kind of doing drama in um, my second secondary school, um, Jeffrey Chaucer. And and I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed um, the opportunity to inhabit other characters and amuse people more than anything else and, and, and have the permission to amuse and entertain people. Um, so... That was my first 
sort of foray into theatre, performing um, on stage in school. Do you remember any of the shows that you did back then? We did, um, is it Willie Russell, Our Day Out? We also wrote uh, a play that our drama teacher helped us raise money to take to Edinburgh called um, Party Night at the, at the Club. Um, I'm trying to think if we did anything else. Um, we read a few things in um, in drama and English. Uh, we had, I think we tried to enact the court case in um, To Kill a Mockingbird. And I believe I played Tom Robinson in that, at, in English lit at school. Um, so yeah, there, some, of, some of the experiences were few and far between, apart from just sort of regular um, kind of one week or one day week, um, you know, exercises in, in drama class and stuff like that. But, um, and, you know, occasionally we'd go and see shows I remember going to see shows at the Young Vic, uh, Theatre Royal, Stratford East, um, I think the Royal Court as well. So yeah, I think those those are kind of my early sort of experiences of theatre. And do you remember the moment where you were like, yeah, this is what I want to pursue as my career, this is how I want to try and make my living? No, actually, I sort of feel as if some of it just kind of snuck up on me really you know there was there was no time when I was um, acting with the National Youth Theatre when I got in um, that I thought I really want to be a performer and you know I I, I eventually wrote a play for the National Youth Theatre called Roadside about a young man who was um, having a lot of mental health issues and got sick sectioned and um he and his um psychiatrist are trying to work out you know what what motivated certain actions that he's perpetrated and stuff like that and so when i wrote that i, I said that i was the only one that could direct it primarily because there was a sense of trying to get to an authenticity in the um, central character. Um, it's kind of uh, believability for me that I wanted to be able to convey to the audience. So the more authentic the performance, the more exciting or, or you know, truthful it is for the audience to um, witness and be a part of um, was the reason why I was motivated to direct that play. And in in doing that, I realised that to a certain extent, I had a very limited knowledge of what a director did, apart from just being very personable and trying to solve questions from the actors. Most of the time, I would just get the actors to kind of perform the scene over and over again until... Um, there were things that I liked that I wanted to be consistent in their performances and I'll tell, to inform them to retain those elements and then um, and then build you know the whole play just like that um, to a certain extent which sounds very simple and to a certain extent it's still what we do but at the time there was still a lot of knowledge 
uh, messing uh, regarding, you know, how to kind of open up a play for an actor and what are those very specific exercises that you can um, draw upon to help a, an actor unlock a play or their character or a scene or even just a moment. So, um, so yeah, it was, there was never a eureka moment. It was just more kind of following my nose, really, and knowing that I, I was never bored. I never got bored of um, theatre or, um, or even just working with actors and performing. Um, I never got bored of it. So I think that's why it felt very much an important pursuit for me. And after you uh, you direct that first play and you uh, you realise that you uh, perhaps need more tools and that you want to pursue it, how did you go about acquiring those tools? Um, this is uh, and uh, this is something I'm asking everyone I speak to in these conversations. Uh, are there any uh, from that early part of your career when you're first finding out about how to make theatre and what interests you in your own practice? Are there any resource, resources or books that particularly stand out in your memory as important to you around that time? It was tricky because it was more about um, just looking for where there was an opportunity or um, there was an organisation that felt somehow certified, <laughs> strangely, that, you know, that wasn't a university, that wasn't a drama school, because I'd already been a student by this point, and I'd already... Oh, you had? Yeah, I'd already been a student. I was I was kind of like, I guess I was in the middle of it. I was at university at the time, um, so 21, 22, or just about to leave, yeah, when I wrote my first play. I might have just left, actually. So I'd already kind of, like, you know, got a degree and had the student debt and I I don't think I was really I think I was looking for a job or I might have just gotten a job at um either Cafe Cafe Republic or something when that was still around. So I was kinda of getting up early in the morning um to go and work at Cafe Republic on Fleet Street um whilst sort of going well you know, with my kind of degree in communications and visual studies, I had a plethora of units, <laughs> as it were, that potentially might have struck um, within me a certain idea of where I wanted to specialise, whether it's advertising, whether it's journalism, whether it's, um, you know, film and TV productions, which is why I chose. So I wanted to be a runner. But getting the runner's job was quite difficult at the time. And and so I kind of always deferred back to the opportunities that were being provided or even uh, environments that were uh, sort of catering to my interest and, and my sort of fixation with how to be a good theatre maker. And the Young Vic were the only place doing a course at the time um, for free. And that's crucial. The free aspect of this is very crucial because, you know, I'm from a low-income background. I, I wasn't making that much money and, you know, I, I had this debt 
student there at the back of my mind that I didn't want to add greatly to. So, you know, even think, thinking of starting a theatre company didn't felt felt like it was um, more, yeah, a, a risk that I, I, I possibly couldn't indulge because... You know, I, well, I, I, not even possibly. It was just like, don't indulge the idea of starting a theatre company because, you know, that all involves money and you need to, you know, not get yourself into a situation that you don't want to be in, essentially. So, um, yeah, it was just more about acquiring skill and knowledge. The Young Vic were the place doing um, directing courses. So I just kind of, you know, held on to that. And once you've kind of been through um, one kind of cycle of um, acquiring knowledge and, and sort of practical application with the Young Vic, they would kind of have a follow-up course that you could go on to as well. And obviously, you'd already built up a relationship. They've built up a knowledge of you um, from those courses to know, um, and you can you know, and um, with with these things, there's always the requirement to um, add, you know, what your experience is and why you think, you know, the course would be beneficial. So obviously, if you're able to eloquently um, put those points across, um, then there's more chance of you being accepted onto those courses. So I was fortunate to get accepted onto kind of the young big follow-up courses, you know, advanced introduction to directing, <laughs> then, you know, um, doing excerpts from a play, which, you know, gave you the opportunity to work with a, uh, or speak with a professional designer and and, and work with um, professional actors on on a project there before you know you do master classes with um, notable sort of directors in the industry at the time um, and so that was what um, felt available and you know it was south of the river as well which was a bonus so it didn't mean that it travel you know to a certain extent not more than 40 minutes on a bus at the time um and and yeah that was kind of my my way of kind of acquiring knowledge and 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 sort of having a building that really wanted to support my kind of interest and preoccupation with making theater and, uh, of course, for the people listening uh, who are perhaps uh, considering a career in the theatre or are emerging directors, that uh, so that first course you're talking about, the Young Vic still run that, don't they? And it's called Springboard. Is that right? It's now called I think, that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Springboard might be, you know, the tertiary sort of um, entry point, potentially, yeah. for the course. Um, so they, it, they still do introduction to directing, but, yeah, they do Springboard to kind of, give you an overview of all the different departments and all the different areas that you might that are within um kind of a theater organization that you might be interested in and then from there you can 
um, look out for courses that specialize in a particular area or might give you an apprenticeship or this or hands-on experience that you want um, in an aspect of there. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, I think that's kind of what Springboard is. And then, you know, if you're specializing in directing, you do introduction to directing. If it's, um, uh, you know, uh, the technical department, then you might um, get to sort of um, be an apprentice in the technical department or, or elsewhere, that sort of thing. And so after you've done these uh, courses at the Young Vic and you've acquired uh, the knowledge and your interest is deepening, what was your first professional experience in the theatre? What was your your first job? I, I think my it's a funny one because I would say that my first job was a play that um, I got asked to direct whilst I was on a writer's group. And that was from a fellow writer on the writer's group I've got this play, I've got a venue, I just don't have a director because I don't think, no one I know, I think she said something like, no one I know knows what that is and how to do it. And I've heard you've got a bit of directing experience, so would you direct this play for me? And we don't have any money (laughs) and some of the actors are, or some of the people that want to audition are people I know. Um, and but you don't you don't feel obligated to give them the role because they're people I know. If they aren't suitable, they'll understand and we'll just keep looking for the right person, sort of thing. So that was that was I think my first um, professional um, experience, and it meant that. I could just kind of put to use some of the kind of understanding of what the role was that I'd uh, sort of acquired in recent or months or over the course of like a year or two that I've been sort of going on um, the sort of young big directing courses and stuff. Um, and that was... And what, that, it, it, it what was, was, what was the play? The play was called That Life, This Life, My my Life. I think it was called My Life. And it was on a, um, a theatre that's now Box Park in Croydon, um, which was, I think it was called Croydon Warehouse at the time. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I remember that place, yeah. Yeah. And and how, how was that experience? Did it go well for you? It was great. It was really, it was really brilliant because everyone's really young. They were all really enthusiastic. And, you know, this was when I think, I don't know if some of the listeners on here will know an actress by the name of Kizza Dean. So after that experience, she went and auditioned for drama school and got into RADA and um, has been working um, professionally since. And we recently worked together again on Debbie Tucker's Green's um, Random at Leeds Playhouse. So to see her journey from that point just kind of goes to show how much there were so many young, enthusiastic um, 
actor. Like Charlotte, Charlotte Smith was also in that play. She just done it for with new perspectives on another Debbie Tucker Green play, um, Trade. Um, and yeah, we all just kind of grafted. We committed to the hours that was required to rehearse, even if we were rehearsing in the old sort of office block with like two chairs or something like that at, you know, eight at night to 10, <laughs> um, just to kind of get the play ready. Uh, we had, you know, brilliant support from, you know, the people, the creative team that did like the costume and music and lighting, lighting. And um, and yeah, it was a steep learning curve because you know there was obviously restrictions on budget and what the set design would look like, and you know how how cumbersome you know the space could be with um, too many uh, sort of immovable um, props or set designs and things like that. So, but on the whole, I find I found the experience really illuminating, and and thought that with the source material, the play, and or the stimulus, as it were, um, we we did, you know, something that we were all really proud of, and I think it even got reviewed um, and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, it was it was good fun. And uh, did you ever spend any time as an assistant director, Bonham? Did you ever do that? Years. I did that for years. <laughs> I was an assistant director for a very long time. Um, so after one of the masterclasses at the uh, Young Vic, I'm, I'm only telling the story from this point just because I feel like this significantly I remembered and also felt like the turning point in me acquiring more assistant director jobs because part of the challenge as you know an aspiring emerging director is where do you get um the experience from you know who will give you the opportunity to come in the room and be there consistently throughout their rehearsal project um process rehearsal process sort of acquiring knowledge and and somehow you know astutely uh able to move forward with some of the knowledge and skills and techniques that you've acquired from that um director to evolve your own approach or even specify uh, or give a specificity to how you want to work with actors and and you know what you think you know the process of of putting on a production is, especially you know it 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 it's in their identity to you. So you have to sort of assist a lot of people. You have to um, know why you want to assist a, a certain individual, um, as much as also uh, be able to disseminate what you think is helpful from their process that you always want to kind of utilize um in in your way of working and stuff like that so you know 
at the Young Vic after masterclass. Um, Richard Wilson was uh, one of the kind of you know visiting uh, practitioners because Richard Wilson is a great actor, but he's also a brilliant theatre director, and he was directing an Al Smith play for National Youth Theatre, and. And I was just kind of in awe of him when we did the masterclass. I thought it was, it was very gentle, uh, very uh, clear spoken. Uh, I don't know whether that's speaking the time, but you know, he spoke very clearly about the way you know what he thought of theatre and the way it worked and how he liked to work. And he just seemed a really generous and knowledgeable man. And having the connection with the National Youth Theatre, I thought that was a great opportunity to potentially pursue assisting him on that play. Um, and so I asked him if I could um, send an email or he, if he might consider me um, as an assistant director. And he was like, um, if you've got a good relationship with the National Youth Theatre, ask them and, and then they will... Um, potentially be able to sort it out, which is why I did. And they found funding, you know, which was at the time a complete bonus <laughs> for them to find funding to pay me um, to um, do the role. Because at the time I was just thinking I'll either do it part time or um, find a way of making it work with work and, and going to. Um, rehearsals and stuff like that. So yeah, Richard Wilson was the first person I assisted. And then after, I think having Richard Wilson as a name on my CV meant that, you know, even the young bit took me seriously. So the next opportunity came from them. And um, and that was to assist Satcher Wares on Generations, which was um, the first Debbie Tucker Green play I worked on. And... Um, and that was just a real eye-opening experience. And it felt, you know, theatre profoundly on that play about uh, the generational losses of a family to, you know, AIDS and HIV made me feel like I belonged. Until this day, it's probably one of those highlights. I'll, uh, you know, forever hold closely and look back on and say that those were stressful, uh, but fun times, um, just based on the dy dynamic of the people that were in the room and how much they wanted to tell that story as clearly as possible and the level of work and artistry and, and respect um, that went into making that piece of work. And after that, uh, obviously, you continue assisting and you direct a couple of plays, but uh, a fairly major thing happens in that you win what is now, I believe, the uh, the Genesis Award. At the time, I think it was the Jerwood Award, and you direct uh, Barry Keefe's Sus. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit about that process and sort of what that meant for the development of your career and your skills as an artist? Um, yeah, I think it just feels like, um, you know, a, yeah, it, it definitely, you, you kind of make a conscious decision in your head to um, see if now is the time to pursue a professional career. 
as a directing your own right after you've been assisting people sort of learning your craft and one of the ways to do that is to obviously <clears throat> you know if you've got a theatre company behind you or you start your own theatre company and you can afford it or you know you find money through arts council or other ways and stuff like that you can put on your own shows and um, develop a name for yourself like that or um, try and win one of the sort of uh, you know uh, reputable kind of awards um, for directors out in the industry and at the time you know the yeah the young big were running the jail with directors award and I think I initially went in with a different play. I think I went in with Yard Girl by Rebecca Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And then um, I asked a few people and someone, men- you know, Cobner Holbrook-Smith mentioned Sus to me. Um, and, and, and it was a really difficult play to find. That's long, the long and the short of it was like I would go to the Barbican because the Barbican has a brilliant sort of play library. Um, I'd been to like every sort of shop on Charing Cross Road with books in it, trying to look for this play, and I just couldn't find it anywhere. And eventually, uh, I think I was I sort of encountered uh, Lindsay Turner at the royal court a number of times and was talking to her about it and she was like well i'm a member of the london library and you can borrow my (laughs) library card and go and see if you can find it in there sort of thing so so i did that and found sus and you know as soon as i started reading it um i couldn't put it down and because i couldn't really convince the person at the counter that was lindsay turner um, with her library card. So I sort of photocopied every page of the play. Um, and I think, yeah, uh, I don't know how much I paid, £3 or something, because it's, you know, photocopying single pages of plays is quite expensive if they cost like 10p or whatever. Um, so, so, yeah, took that copy home. Um, read the play and thought this is brilliant it felt like it you know had a real sort of pertinent place in in the dialogue that was happening around uh stop and search laws police brutality um institutional racism um at the time in 2009 that was um and so yeah i knew you know, it, it just suddenly felt like I had a vision of the play living in front of me um, in a room full of people. And I imagined what um, that would look like and what the feeling that it would generate in the room. And, you know, I put that all on, on paper into my application and, you know, everyone at, on the panel um, on, on the judging panel for the Joe Award was quite struck by, you know, the way that I talked about the play and, you know, uh, my vision for it. And, yeah, I won uh, the award to direct that play. I found a 
designer, sound designer, lighting designer, and kind of I'd seen Clint Dyer do a, a monologue about Michael X that Don Walton had directed um, for Eclipse, I think, and really wanted him to play Delroy. And funnily enough, he had already played the role some sort of 10, 12 years earlier or something like that. Um, so he was like, wow, I don't know if I can go back to it, but I think he felt like, you know, the play is challenging and the play is brutal at points, but also really funny and astutely written by Barry Keith. So I think he definitely thought that that was a challenge to sort of embrace and, and see what, you know, me coming across like a young upstart at the time could do with it um, at the young Vic. So, yeah, he agreed to come in the room and do that. And, and you know, and we put on a brilliant production and the following year, Don decided to take it on tour around various venues across the UK with Eclipsed. Um, and, yeah, it had a really brilliant, successful tour. And off the back of it, nothing happened. <laughs> I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you to talk about that simply, uh, simply because um, when you, uh, uh, when you're uh, successful like you are now, you've been an associate director at the Young Vic. You've now, you're now running a building. You're about, well, you're about to embark on the journey of running a building. But when you look back at people's CVs and you see, oh, won the Jerwood Award and then did this and then did this, it seems like there's so much logic to it. But um, I, re I remember uh, having a drink with you uh, in a pub in Poland because we'd both left an or we'd, we'd both been there with the young Vic and we both left an awful show early. Uh, and you were talking about that and you were like, uh, so I'd love to hear a bit more about the journey after SOS and your expectations with this amazing production that got brilliant reviews everywhere it went and what actually happened. Mate, I mean... The first time round, it's it's a thing where you sort of, you know, get the congratulations and people kind of really sort of uh, being excited by something you've created, and and you know, and and when I say this, not just like audience members, I'm talking people, you know you admire the industry or you you understand their level of um, status or power or, um, you know, authority. You know, they're an artistic leader in the building. And you naturally feel as if, you know, the next thing that's going to happen is for them to say, you know, let's, do you want to come in for a meeting or, you know, or, and people say that. People also say that, but nothing actually happens. You, you can write them your email on the spot and you just go, oh shit, like I still haven't heard from that person. Or you go and meet with them and they, you know, they kind of give you the, you know, the very simple talk of saying, oh, you know, we'll, we need to find something to, you know, for you to work on and stuff like that. And then the next, then you're being asked to come in and assist them and stuff like that. So it's it's just it's just really funny to consider because it's hard to 
not look at other people's journeys, your peers or people you consider your peers around you, um, as much as also um, not let it affect you. Because you go, I'm on my own journey. I've got my own history to write and my own story to shape, right? And, but for a long time, because of being told this industry is about uh, meritocracy, you you feel as if, you know, your that opportunity sh- um, is coming. That opportunity should have been granted to you um, from these artistic leaders and buildings that you've invited to see your work or you've assisted on on shows that run buildings and they've had the opportunity to direct shows, you know, either at the national or wherever and stuff like that. And, you know, there'll be shows that you're like, wait, that's, that's, you know, you know I'm black, right? And that's the show about the black experience that I think I, I, I can key into that very much. Not that I just want to direct shows about the black experience, but, you know, sometimes when you see someone, you go, you're so far removed from that experience, but yet you still um, feel like that's, you're the best person suited to tell that story. That feels like there's a real omission of, um, uh, of uh, of generosity as much as also um, of of support in 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 their interests. You know, it's it's kind of like you know, when are you going to support my journey, my stories, and you know, let me find um, truth in this piece of work that has been created from someone in in my community um, and to tell that story. So, you know, you just, you just have to shrug it off. You just go, that clearly happened elsewhere and someone else was given the privilege and opportunity to tell that story. So that wasn't supposed to be me doing it, but, you know, after a while of seeing that consistently happen and being somewhat overlooked or not even called in to read a play or um, have a conversation, you go, is that is that deliberate omission? Is that a, a very conscious um, intention to hold you back, to prevent you from... Um, generating any momentum um, whereby your craft as much as also your visibility within the industry uh, becomes more permanent or, um, you know, just stronger as, uh, as, as, as a force, as an agenda, or even just as um, uh, a theatre maker, a storyteller within an industry that you respect and love dearly. So, you know, on numerous occasions in, in the past, I've, you know, we all get to that point where we play around, not even play around, we genuinely 
um, deeply consider giving this up, where you kind of go, is this industry for me? I need to live. I need to survive. I need to um, feel as if I'm, you know, I'm pursuing my purpose. And, um, you know, uh, and that is significantly uh, being taken seriously or having a, a, a very kind of strong impact on people or anyone who encounters what I make or what my contribution is to the grander narrative. And when it feels like, you know, you're falling short of that pursuit, you go, maybe I need to just start elsewhere where I'll be better appreciated or at least I can cultivate a better um, lifestyle, a better living for myself. Um, and I think stubbornly I've kind of stuck to this industry and my pursuits in it through the fact that I was expressing myself as a writer and a director. Um, so at, at different times, um, they would generate the enthusiasm and momentum and and kind of creative spark that kept me going. Um, but off the back of doing SUS, my ratio of directing was two shows a year. I mean, no, a show every two years. One show every two years. That was literally my ratio. Now, maybe some might say that's better than most, whereas when I look around to other people that have won awards or um, been kind of, you know, the, a certain enthusiasm and excitement has been shown about them as a storyteller, as a maker, um, you go, wait, why does it feel like I'm the only one that's not getting called up for these opportunities? or or being given the trust and the belief that you know I can I can produce you know a vision and, and deliver an exciting um, night of theater or storytelling. Um, so you know that becomes frustrating and it plays on your mind and you just go, I'll just keep going. I'll keep going until it doesn't feel sustainable anymore as much as also until the best opportunity for me to tell stories, support artists and um, kind of cultivate a, a kind of a redressing of the industry's thinking and focus um, comes along really. Um, so, you know, I've, I, I was, I guess, um, uh, conscious of the fact that the overhouse was moving and was looking for a new artistic director and the opportunity just seemed, you know, at the time too good to be true as much as also, um, didn't feel like something I could pass up, something I could pass up in hope that one of these artistic directors in one of these buildings will, um, or they will all 
you know, at the same time, go, oh my God, look who we've, you know, we've tried to write off the history of theatre making in Britain. All I had. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That sounds really egotistical, but that's what every director is hoping for. We all want to be on the names of, you know, the people. You know, we want, yeah, you want to be in that list of names of the people that artistic directors want to give job to regularly. You know, or at least we know that through this year, I've got, three productions that are evenly spaced out that will sustain me, you know. And when I say sustain, uh, you know, most of the time we're talking about trying to secure a contract, uh, you know, or, uh, for a mid-scale or, 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 or large-scale production, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, or even, you know, a studio play that you go, this is fucking exciting. This is a new voice and, you know, this, like, the ideas and, and the creativity that, that's gone into this, into trying to execute and deliver the this play will excite a lot of people, you know? So, so when you're not, when you don't feel um, embraced or you don't think you're on the list of all those artists, you know, you're not one of the names on all, all, um, all those artistic directors' lists. You go, what's, what can I do for myself? What can I, how can I continue to remain visible, but also enthusiastic about this industry and potentially give up other people opportunities to, tell stories based on, you know, the resources that you have. Um, and, you know, I'm currently, or I've been fortunate enough to be granted a position where hopefully I'll be able to do that. You know, more support artists, more support a kind of broader representation of voices and people to be seen. And the stories that we kind of are exposed to and take in are, you know, a lot more varied and, you know, and incredibly exciting in form and execution, I guess. And I also, I just, I just think it's quite important for, um, you know, people out there who are beginning this or perhaps have begun it and feel that it isn't going that well, that they hear from people who've, um, uh, who've, who've become successful at it that, uh, well, it's not easy. And there are long, dark nights of the soul for everyone who pursues this for a long time. Um, but uh, if you really have to, then do then do keep going. Because, you know, if you get to make the work, then that's the best thing in the world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because, no, seriously, like, of, I mean, the thing is, it looks like an overnight success story based on, as you say, if you look at, the CV and you go, oh, I've heard about that show or I heard that was really good and I didn't make it or whatever. But for me, that's nearly, I think, I can't remember now, but it's something like 16 years, 14 to 16 years of um, being in this industry. Um, and to a certain extent, it, let's say 10 
years ago in 2010 was when I decided to go professional. So then from then, I'm directing a show every two years, maybe three years. Do you see it? So to say, within that, that's not many shows. Um, and within those years, I've also applied to be artistic director many other places um, where, you know, you get close or you don't get an interview. And, you know, I'm, I'm counting probably about eight places, I think, that I've applied to be artistic director where it just didn't happen. Do you know what I mean? And you don't necessarily, you know, go on Twitter and go, ah, oh, just apply for another job, didn't get it. You just kind of carry on. You know, you kind of carry on and go, because, you know, when you, when you think about how many times actors get rejected, you know, that they don't even know about. They just don't hear back from the audition or whatever. Um, but I think for us, it feels like those... I don't know. Those opportunities are smaller and the significance of their impact it again becomes more intense because of the nature of how uh, our work is um, scrutinized, whether that's with critics or even by our industry peers and those in power certainly um, who are able to offer, offer us those opportunities to direct work perhaps not even venturing to the theatre to see the show or requesting a filmed, you know, filmed version of it um, and, and not considering you to direct a show in their studio or in their main house, you know, when you, you, you felt capable of being able to do that or at least being able to accelerate your skills if those opportunities were given to you as frequently as you expected them to be when an industry is excited by you, you know? Um, so, so yeah, it's important to kind of, you know, take it one day at a time, have your, you know, your kind of ambitions and aspirations um, clear, but then, you know, in pursuit of them, don't go crazy. Comparing yourself too much to other people as much as also begrudging the industry for not giving you the opportunities that you want, because at the end of the day, that's going to eat up more at you and your creativity and your uh, receptiveness to what other people are doing, you know, whether it's to inspire you or naturally to um, perhaps support your, your own artistic pursuits um, sort of thing, you know, because you know, I've, 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 I've done it all in terms of jobs, mate. Kind of like, you know, to, to the point of labouring. I even lay, you know, was a, you know, on a building site for a bit. And 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 when you've got a degree <laughs> and you're on a zero-hour contract, it just makes you go, wait, I think I took a wrong turn somewhere. And, <laughs> and in those moments, that's when you go, all right, I need to just walk out of there and see if I can find, you know, the road that I'm supposed to be back on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, thank you for being uh, so honest about that uh, and also so encouraging. Um, we've nearly run out of time, but I just have two very quick questions for you, if that's okay. Sure, we'll try. Um, 
Can you tell us about the last work of art that absolutely blew your mind? Oh, Lord. What, as in like uh, theatre, uh, film? Yes, theatre, film, music, any anything. The last thing that really, um, yeah, that really made you go, wow, that's amazing. I, you know what, yeah, it's a, a few years out now, but Damn by Kendrick Lamar is, is similarly one of the best sort of hip-hop albums I've ever heard. Um, I'm trying to think what piece of theatre I've seen recently that sort of blew my mind. Um, oh, my God. I, I saw, you know, I saw a small island at the National Theatre, and I, I was really, I was just quite, you know, stunned by, uh, you know, its its realization. You know, the the way the um, production just got whole and beautiful and nostalgic and painful to watch at times. But clear in storytelling, and you know, after the you know, uh, the involvement of Andrea Levy, and then she passed as well. I was just kind of felt like that was a real beautiful testament to the work that she kind of created. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, something that I saw recently. And then right. I don't, I don't know about film though. I can't remember. Uh, and uh, finally, just last question: Can you recommend something for us to all enjoy while we're social distancing? Uh, whilst you're social distancing, um, I don't know. George, George, the poet's podcast is a good one. Yeah, uh, excellent yeah. recommendation. Brilliant. Um, well, Olahan, thank you so much for talking to us today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always, and um, best of luck with the new job, and hopefully we'll get to speak soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks, Craig. Take care. Thank you for listening to this specially recorded episode of the Nottingham Playhouse Playcast Amplify podcast series. To find out more about the Amplify programme or the rest of our work, visit nottinghamplayhouse.co.uk. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all the latest episodes as they're released. Music